podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the season finale of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. This is a podcast about it's Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll recap how Lorenzo Insigne and Giovanni Di Lorenzo played in the Euro 2020 final, and I'll talk a little bit about Chucky Lozano's injury scare at the Gold Cup. And in part two, I'll quickly give you the latest transfer news around our men's team, but there have been so many changes to the women's team since July 1st that most of the segment will be devoted to that. So let's start with the Euros. As has been the case since the second match of the group stage, we had two players in the starting 11, Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Lorenzo Insigne. The only other game they didn't play was against Wales after we had secured our place in the knockout stage. Unfortunately, Alex Meret was the only player on the squad to not make an appearance in this tournament. I'm convinced that had we blown away any of our opponents in the knockout stage, that Mancini would have sub-Meret on like he did with Sirigu in the group stage. But the Austria game went to extra time. We had to defend a one-goal lead to the very end against Belgium, and both the Spain and England games went to penalty kicks, so that opportunity never presented itself. Either way, all three of them are officially European champions after our big win on Sunday. So let's start with Di Lorenzo, who didn't have the best game of his life, but in my opinion, he wasn't as bad as a lot of people made it out to be. Let's start with the England goal, because I think a lot of people wrote Di Lorenzo off after that goal. That's obviously something that stands out in people's minds. Di Lorenzo and Emerson bore most of the blame for the goal, and they deserved their fair share, but I think there were others at fault as well, and I think you also have to give England a lot of credit for how they worked that goal. I had to watch this play over and over again because there was so much going on. So let me start with what England did really well. All four players involved in the build-up were key to this goal, none more important than Luke Shaw. First, he dribbled out of a very tight situation in his own end with Chiesa chasing him down. Then he had the vision to spot Kane in the middle of the park, he had the wherewithal to continue his run, and he had the skill to hit the volley like a striker would. Then there was Harry Kane who wisely dropped very deep to retrieve the ball in a pretty big pocket of space before spraying it out wide to Trippier. Trippier and Walker immediately raced forward, Walker made the overlap and finally Trippier played a perfect cross to Shaw who scored at the back post and all of that happened in a span of 15 seconds. So that's what England did well, now let's look at what Italy did poorly. First, the play started with an Italy corner kick, which England cleared, and Verratti and Jorginho got a little bit mixed up, and that's what allowed Sterling to win possession for England in the first place. Second, because of the corner, Insigne was caught out of position. Insigne is our left winger, but he went over to the right side to take the corner kick, and that's why England's entire right side was wide open, not because Emerson gave England too much space. Third, Kyle Walker's overlapping run was absolutely key to this goal. It forced Emerson to play off of Trippier because if he committed, Walker would have been open on the right side of the area. That gave Trippier the time and space he needed to play the cross, and the overlap also forced Killini to shift over to support Emerson. 
Finally, you have the late run from Harry Kane. Now, Nicolo Barella was there, but perhaps Di Lorenzo was thinking that if that ball is played to Kane, there is no way Barella is going to win a header against him. So Di Lorenzo shifts over to help, but that leaves Shaw wide open for the shot. Where I will fault Di Lorenzo is I think he was too slow to react to the cross. Even if he was out of position, the cross was slow enough that I think he could have still got into that ball. I don't know if he saw the ball late or if he misread the trajectory of the ball, but I was surprised at how slow he reacted to that cross. Di Lorenzo did appear to be nervous in this match, especially in the first half hour. He had his hands full with Shaw, who caused problems for Di Lorenzo on a few different occasions throughout the match. At the same time, Raheem Sterling lined up on England's left wing and aside from a few attempts to win penalties, he was pretty much a non-factor in this match. Admittedly, that was probably more due to the play of Bonucci than Di Lorenzo. Then Jack Grealish came off the bench and he tends to drift more towards the left side. I was really concerned about Grealish because he's arguably England's most creative player. England's midfield was really lacking creativity but Di Lorenzo and Bonucci did well to shut him down. Aside from the play in extra time where Sterling got away from Di Lorenzo and Chiellini had to bail him out, I thought Di Lorenzo's play improved over the course of the match. The team as a whole settled down, not just Di Lorenzo, and I think that helped with his confidence and it helped with those early jitters. It also helped that England dropped back to protect the lead. They allowed us to have more of the ball, which meant we had less defending to do. But when called upon, Di Lorenzo was making the tackles he needed to make and he was winning balls in the air. The last thing I liked about Di Lorenzo's play, which I think was true of his play throughout the tournament, was that he kept it simple. He didn't take unnecessary risks, he didn't try to overplay, he just made the simple decision. If a cross was played towards his post, instead of trying to take the ball down and maybe dribble past a player or make a brilliant clearance, he simply touched the ball out for a corner kick. Nothing fancy, just play it safe, let them get organized, and then get back to work. Moving on to Lorenzo Insigne, I thought he put in another strong shift. He was definitely better in the second half than he was in the first half, but again, everyone seemed to struggle in that opening half hour. I think that was largely because Southgate played the 3-4-3, so we were outnumbered in the midfield, especially with Kane dropping deep. Early on, it seemed like Mancini was going to be outclassed for the second match in a row after he was outcoached by Luis Enrique in the semifinal, but once we settled down, the players proved Mancini right. A lot of things Insigne did well in this match were the same things he's done well throughout the tournament, so I guess in that sense he was consistent. He was very involved in the play, even though he lines up on the left wing, he drifts into the midfield and plays more like a 10 than like a winger. Whenever we have a spell of possession and we're playing quick one-touch passes, Insigne seems to be involved, along with Verratti and Jorginho. His touch is phenomenal, the way he can take down a long ball with the outside of his boot is amazing, and often those long balls came when our defenders had the ball at the back and didn't have a pass, so Insigne made the run to give them a reference point. Finally, he won at least one free kick in a very dangerous area. It wasn't his best game either though, specifically Insigne's shooting and passing lacked accuracy on this night. He took two free kicks, both of which missed the target. Neither were that far off, but I also think on both occasions, had he hit the target, Pickford was well positioned to make the save. He had a few more shots from open play, one in the first half from really far out that went wide of the goal, another in the second half that he shanked and completely missed the target, and a third from a sharp angle that Pickford stopped, albeit very awkwardly. 
Insignia's passing wasn't terribly accurate either. He seemed to struggle to hit Immobile with the pass, though I thought the way that England were dropping deep and defending and knowing Immobile's style of play, Insignia would have had to play the perfect pass to put the ball on Immobile's foot. Just like in the semi-final, Insignia played a portion of this match as a false 9, but this time much earlier in the match. Needing to score, Mancini replaced Immobile with Domenico Berardi in the 55th minute, shifted Keza to the left wing, played Berardi on the right wing, and Insignia at striker. And I have to admit, he played better there than I thought he would and he was certainly better than Immobile. Don't get me wrong, I love Ciro Immobile, he's Napolitano, but he had a poor tournament as a whole and a really poor knockout stage. I know he was working hard and making runs, but more often than not, his touch was off and there were times where he should have shown for the ball, but he didn't. I thought Insigne was much better at that than Immobile was. He opened up for the pass, he played much deeper than Immobile did, similar to what we saw Kane doing at the other end of the pitch, and you simply cannot deny that we looked far more threatening with Insigne in the 9 than we did with Immobile there. Does that mean we should play him there at Napoli? No, I still think he's better on the wing than in the middle, but it is good to know that he's flexible that way. I think it's clear that flexibility is important to Mancini. We saw him use both Insigne and Di Lorenzo in multiple positions, and I think that's also why guys like Cristante and Bernardeschi are in the squad. By the way, I hate to say it, but for me, the fact that Bernardeschi made those two crucial penalty kicks suggests to me that Bernardeschi may have been the right choice over Politano. After all, on the other hand, I think Politano would have been much more of a goal-scoring threat off the bench than Bernardeschi was, and who knows, maybe he would have prevented some of those games from going to penalty kicks in the first place. Insigne played as the 9 for about half an hour or so, and then he returned to the left wing when Bernardeschi replaced Chiesa. Finally, Insigne was replaced by Andrea Bellotti to start extra time with Bernardeschi moving over to the left wing so Bellotti could play in the middle. I thought that was the correct decision by Mancini as well. At that point, Insigne looked pretty tired. You could see he was walking around the pitch, which is understandable considering how much he's played this year. All in all, I thought Keza was the only attacking player to outperform Insigne, not just in this match, but in the entire tournament. I'll close part 1 with a quick discussion on Chucky Lozano and the injury he sustained playing for Mexico. For those who don't know, Lozano was involved in a gruesome collision against Trinidad and Tobago in the opening match of the Gold Cup. In the 11th minute, Lozano played a give and go with Rogelio Mori and was running into the area to receive the return pass. TNT goalkeeper Marvin Phillip came off his line and slid for the ball. At the same time, TNT right back Alvin Jones shoved Lozano in the back, causing him to lose his balance and Lozano's head collided with Phillip's knee. If you haven't seen the video, I warn you, it's very, very difficult to watch. I was genuinely concerned that Lozano might have broken his neck with the way that his head whipped back. He was cut above the brow, so there was blood all over his eye. Lozano had to be carted off the field on a stretcher and was taken straight to hospital. Fortunately, during the match, the official Twitter account of the Mexican national team tweeted that Lozano was stable and conscious and would undergo further evaluations. There were also reports that Lozano was able to move his limbs. I don't know how credible those sources were, but that was a good sign and anyone following this play out was hoping that those reports were true. Of course, paralysis is always a concern with potential neck injuries. Then around 5 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, Napoli posted an update on the team website saying that Chucky's condition was not cause for concern. Lozano received stitches for a deep cut near his eye. 
caused by the collision. They added that Dr. Canonico had been in constant contact with the Mexican medical staff and that he was scheduled for an MRI within a few hours of that post. The MRI came back negative and Lozano was scheduled to undergo neurological examinations on Monday. The initial estimates for recovery are four to six weeks. Chucky himself posted a video on Twitter thanking everyone for the support. He said, thank you so much for the support, for the prayers, and for all the questions regarding how I am doing. Thank God everything came out okay, and now we are going to want it more, referring to the Gold Cup there. A big hug to everyone. Thank you, and also thank you to my good friend Dom the Barber for that translation. In the video, Lozano was wearing a neck brace and it almost looked like his wife was holding him upright, but it's really hard to tell. That might have just been how she was standing, but he was speaking well and he lifted his arm four times while he was speaking to give a thumbs up, so I'm very optimistic. I'll close by saying that I was absolutely appalled by two things related to this incident. The first was referee Ricardo Montero, who allowed play to continue for a full minute after the collision and then cautioned Mexican midfielder Edson Alvarez for complaining to Montero for not stopping the match immediately. When you think of the Christian Eriksen incident at the Euros and how quickly the medics attended to him and what could have happened had they not attended to him immediately, that minute is an eternity and could have been the difference between life and death. The other thing that appalled me was people on social media who were making this more about themselves than about Lozano's health. That includes people complaining that a penalty should have been awarded. That includes people hoping Lozano would return for Mexico's next match. That includes Napoli fans complaining about how unlucky we are with these injuries. And most of all, that includes the LA Galaxy Twitter account who was celebrating that their player, Efren Alvarez, was on in place of Lozano. When something like that happens, all that matters is the health of the player and nothing else. Mexico's coach Jorge Taylor said it best in his post-match press conference. He said, Today we think about the health of Irving Lozano, that he recovers, that he is well. That is the fundamental thing. We are not thinking of Chucky the footballer, but of Chucky the person. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll do some transfer talk.
In part two, I'll give you a very brief update on our men's team. I'll spend the majority of this segment on the women's team though because there have been massive changes to the women's team. So let's start with the men. LCT Sai has officially joined Lazio. I think most Napoli fans are happy to see him go, but he did post a really nice farewell message on Instagram. He said, Napoli, after six years, the time has come to say goodbye. A post is not enough to thank everyone, but I would like to thank my teammates, the club, the warehouse workers, the great Tommaso, who is a piece of history of Napoli, the physiotherapists, and all already professionals. I also thank the people I have met during this time who have all been wonderful and helpful in my walks. A special thanks goes to you, city fans who made me and my family feel at home. You are a special city and special fans who give so much to all those who wear the Napoli jersey. I tell you that it was an honor for me to wear this jersey. For six years I have given my soul. I have always sweated this jersey. I have always tried to honor the jersey. The only thing I dispute is not having celebrated my goal with you with a full stadium. This is not a goodbye and as the famous saying goes, when you go to Napoli you cry twice, when you arrive and when you leave, and that is the truth. I will always carry you in my heart. Bye, Walio. Speaking of farewells, left back Nuno Tavares said farewell to Benfica. Unfortunately, he's not joining Napoli. He's the latest Napoli target to join Arsenal, and what's worse is he joined for a price that we could have easily afforded. I don't know what his salary will be, but the transfer fee was only 8 million euros plus up to 2 million euros in bonuses. I imagine the reason we didn't pull the trigger is because we need to sell a player or two first. One player that we're trying to sell is Mario Rui. Our latest update was that we were close to selling him to Galatasaray for around 5 million euros. Those negotiations have stalled now. Apparently Galatasaray instead offered a loan with option to buy, which Napoli rejected. In other words, we still need to sell a left back and we still need to buy one. Or we could wait for Fauzi Goulam. He visited Professor Mariani at Villa Stuart last week along with club doctor Raffaele Canonico where they confirmed that Goulam's recovery is on schedule. In other news, according to Gianluca Di Marzio, Gennaro Tutino is set to join Parma. Tutino had an excellent season with Salernitana last season, scoring 13 goals, assisting 6, and earning promotion to Serie A. Unfortunately for him, he won't play in Serie A if that happens, though we'll see if Salernitana are even able to stay up. It seems like Claudio Lotito has weaseled his way into delaying the sale of the club, which is absolutely disgraceful, and this is the latest failure of Serie A's brass. Di Marzio is also reporting that we're interested in Tottenham midfielder Musa Sissoko. The French midfielder is reasonably priced, but I'm not sure a 31-year-old is the route we want to take. Finally, the club might be interested in Real Madrid's Isco. On Sunday, the club made a very curious Twitter post and then immediately took it down. It said Isco cerca con Google, which means search with Google, so who knows what that means. Alright, let's move on to the women's team. In a recent interview with Il Corriere del Pallone, club president Raffaele Carlino said that he wants to build the team around talented young players. That's the approach general manager Nicola Crisano has taken to the market, which officially opened on July 1st. Crisano has been very busy. I think the best approach is to go through the changes by position, so let's start with the goalkeepers. 
Two episodes ago, I mentioned that we had signed Spanish goalkeeper Yolanda Aguirre from Santa Teresa de Badajoz in the top flight of Spanish football. We've since added another goalkeeper in Canadian Kelly Cavaro. She joins from Emic Heffer WFC in the first division of Israeli football. That does make you wonder about the future of our starting keepers from last season. Catalina Perez was the starter for the first half of the season and then Sabrina Tasselli took over after Perez got hurt. You have to think at least one of them will be heading out with two new keepers coming in. Tasselli was linked to a possible move to Fiorentina, so she could be the one to depart. Moving on to the defense, center back Goni Arnadotir will return to AC Milan. She was purchased by Milan in January and loaned to Napoli for the balance of the season. Milan released an official statement confirming that she would be a part of Milan's first team until 2023, where she will wear the number 4. Paula Di Marino has been confirmed for another season, with Arna Dottier coming in to play alongside Alexandra Hune. Di Marino only managed to make 10 appearances last season. Now Hune has also departed Napoli, that was confirmed about a month ago. That's a huge blow to our backline to lose both of our starting center backs. We have already signed a replacement though in American Emily Garnier. She spent last season on loan at Danish club Fortuna Hjoring where she made 20 appearances including 4 starts in the Champions League. She was owned by Empoli where she was coached by our current coach, Alessandro Pistolesi. So perhaps Di Marino and Garnier play as the starting center backs with Chiara Grof and Sofia Janssen as the backups. We saw both of them in the final match of the season against Roma with Hune suspended and Arnadotir injured, though Grof has also been rumored to leave. At left back we've signed 19 year old Ilaria Capitanelli from Pink Bari. Even at such a young age, she's already made 34 appearances in Serie A with her hometown club. 19 of those appearances were last season. She joins Napoli with Bari being relegated to Serie B. She'll have to compete with Mariah Cameron and Martina Fuzzini for the starting left back role, though both of them have been rumored to leave as well. We've also signed a right back named Kaya Ertsin. The Slovenian played for Tavanyako before joining Roma for the last two seasons. She made 13 appearances last season, 7 as a starter, and helped Roma to win their first Coppa Italia. It was actually their first trophy in club history. Unfortunately, Erzin was brought in to replace Elisabetta Oliviero, who was one of my favorite players, after two seasons with Napoli first winning Serie B to earn promotion to Serie A and then achieving salvation, she is now on her way to Empoli. Oliviero posted a lovely farewell message on Instagram. She said, Hi, I'm the women's DS of Napoli and together with President Lello Carlino, we want to bring your hometown to Serie A. They had already won me over. From that moment on, I could say that I had realized a dream without knowing that in these two years, I would have realized others, starting from promotion to Serie A, passing through the first Napoli Juventus in history, going through the emotion of being able to wear the captain's armband with the number 17 on my shoulders, just like Maricchiaro, and obtaining salvation this year in a kind of sporting miracle. Because Napoli deserves so much. I had wonderful traveling companions who made me grow, made me feel important, special, and really in these two years I cannot have had better teammates from the first to the last because the great goals can only be reached in one way, together and as a team, and we, despite the different languages, cultures, and habits, have been. Thanks to those who have always been off the pitch, even with just a look, a word, a hug, and thanks to those who believed in me, especially in times of difficulty. Thanks to the fans, the greengrocer, the butcher, who together with us have never stopped believing in it. Thanks to you, Lido Jarino Beach Resort, for welcoming us into the paradise that you are. Thanks to the staff, 
all the first to the last have taught me something that I will take away with me, including all those who work in the shadows because they have been like a family to me. I leave this shirt with my head high as I arrived, aware that I have written a piece of history that no one will ever be able to erase. A deserved promotion, a salvation on the last day with a red card at 93 minutes that will cost me dearly, which shows how much I really believed in all this. Because life often takes you away from the place where you were born, but Napoli leaves you with that feeling that blue is inside you. I was Napolitana before arriving in Napoli. I have been in the meantime, and I am even more so now. The time has already come to leave. I will always carry this love story inside of me. Thanks for everything, Partenope. Moving on to the midfield, we've signed two new players. They're both young, but they're also both experienced. Madalena Porcarelli is an attacking midfielder that joined from Cesena. The 21-year-old has already made 32 appearances in Serie A and 89 appearances in Serie B with 39 career goals. Francesca Imprezzabile joined from Florentia San Gimignano. She's 20 years old, but has already appeared in 39 Serie A matches, 20 last season, eight of which were as a starter. According to At Napoli Ladies, we've also signed a less experienced midfielder named Emma Severini, though that one is not posted on the club's official site yet. Severini will turn 18 years old in a week. She spent last season at Roma, where she made six appearances. They will join Eleonora Goldoni, who has renewed with Napoli for the 2021-22 campaign. Unfortunately, they will not join Emma Erico, who departs after one season with Napoli. She also took to Instagram to say her farewell. She said, Dear Napoli, as you well know, I am not a person of many words. I prefer to let my emotions and my eyes speak. You put me to the test. It was a challenging year from many points of view, but what you gave me and left you, only we know. Smiles, tears, joys, disappointments, friends. You are an extraordinary, unique city, a people with a big heart, with a sense of belonging to this land that is truly inexplicable in words. We arrived at that date, May 23rd, all together fighting for that goal achieved, for us and for an entire city. Something strong, unique, and inexplicable. It was an honor to take the field with this shirt and even more to have been your captain. I can enclose all this in one word. Thank you. Thank you, Napoli. Thanks, Napolitani. Thanks, staff. You were a dream come true. I love you. This was Eriko's third straight season with a different club. One of those clubs was Sassuolo, who she could return to, and she's also been linked to Hellas Verona. Finally, there were numerous changes up front as well. Three forwards will be leaving the club, left winger Jenny Hillman, striker Izota Noki, and converted right winger Federica Cafrata, who are all amongst my favorite players as well. Hillman and Cafrata were both part of the team that got us promoted to Serie A, and of course all three were part of the squad that achieved salvation. Hillman is heading to Brescia, Cafrata is heading to Fiorentina, and we don't know yet who Noki will be playing with next season. Both Noki and Cafrata took to Instagram to say their farewells. Noki said, Football and miracles. Hello my love, I salute you, but I promise that I will come back to see you. Bye Napoli, bye Vesuvio, bye C, bye Napolitani. Napoli surprised me, you scared me, you made me mad, you entered me. The spirit, the soul of Napoli cannot be explained. You have to feel it, and when you hear it, it means that it has entered you, and by now it is too late, you cannot go back. You are bewitched by it, and you must love and protect it. Napoli, I love you, but I leave you. Yes, I have to do it, and I cry. I don't want to get into explanations, but I say thank you. 
Thanks because you made me fall in love. It was the most intense year of my life, the most beautiful. Between acquaintances of real people and wonderful places, you made me grow. You made me live a thousand colors, starting from the beginning of the year with the biggest disappointments, sorrows, and discouragement, but growing emotions of joy, satisfaction, attachment, and unbridled passions until the achievement of the goal that only a Napolitano miracle could bring about, that now distant salvation. Thanks to the companions, an anchor where you can always rely on more than one family. Thanks to the management, always present, who fought with us. We for you and you for us. For those who honored the shirt with me, and for those who will have to wear these colors in the future, Napoli asks a lot, but because it gives you so much respect and honor it. Forever grateful, Isotta Chira. Caffarata said, Dear Napoli Femminile, you saw me arrive with the head of a carefree little girl full of anxieties, dreams, and doubts about what would be. You have been home in two years. I have never felt nostalgic. I have met many wonderful people who have accompanied me on this journey that I will never stop thanking. Together we achieved Serie A, even if not on the pitch altogether. Then the debut, full of questions and insecurities that gradually turned into awareness. I was able to play for the first time with the big ones, and I was also able to feel like a professional. For this, I will always be grateful. You have been many firsts, the first time away from home, the first Serie A conquest, the debut in the top flight, the first goal, the first assist, and you have given me so many emotions that will always remain with me. I have always given my best for this shirt, I have always been proud to wear it and to be a Napoli Feminile player, in part I also felt like an adopted Napolitana for the warmth and affection received from all the fans who, despite the closed stadiums either on the street or through social media, they made themselves heard with so many positive messages towards me and towards the team. Choosing to say goodbye was not easy, but I think my time in the shadow of Vesuvio is over. It's time to set new goals and new challenges. The carefree girl has now become a woman and Napoli will always be one of her safe places. I just have to say a big, huge thank you to all the teammates I met in these two years. She went on to thank a number of the backroom staff and closed by saying, A part of the heart will always be yours. Now, it's not terribly surprising that some of our forwards have left as we were oversupplied up front. Both Evi Popedinova and Depi Chatsi Nicolau have been confirmed for another season, and we still have Vlada Kubasova, who's listed as a midfielder but often plays as a forward. Finally, we did sign another striker to replace Noki. Ariana Akuti has joined from Empoli, where she spent the last three seasons. During that time, she scored 10 goals in 31 games. Of course, she too would be familiar with Pistolesi from their time together at Empoli. So it will definitely be a different look squad come next season. I have to admit, I'm very concerned. It's not easy to get a team to gel when half of the regular starters have been replaced. Not only that, our quest to become a fixture in Serie has only gotten more difficult with the upcoming changes to the structure of the top two flights of women's football in Italy. At the moment, there are 12 teams in Serie A and 14 in Serie B. Starting in the 2022-23 season, Serie A will be reduced to 10 teams and Serie B will be increased to 16. What that means is for the upcoming season, three clubs will be relegated instead of two and only one will be promoted from Serie B. That's obviously very concerning because we finished third from the bottom last season, so if we repeat that finish this upcoming season, we'll be heading back to Serie B. So that will do it for this episode. In fact, that will do it for this season of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. It seems like I've been doing this forever, but this was actually the first full season of the podcast, so it was very special for me. 
It's grown consistently since the beginning, so I'd like to think we're putting out a good product that people enjoy. A special thank you to all of our guests that joined me this season, but most of all, thank you to all the listeners for downloading the podcast every week. That is what motivates me to keep this going. If you like what you heard, please do take a moment to give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. If you have a few extra minutes, please leave us a comment as well. You guys have provided some great feedback, whether it's song suggestions or recommendations like bringing on more guests or even something simple like take a breath every now and then. Those comments are invaluable and I've tried to incorporate as many of them into the podcast as I can. I do have some changes planned for season three, which I'll get into next episode. I'm basically going to roll right into season three. I may take a week off. So the next time we speak, we should have the full schedule and perhaps some news from the model to discuss. But until next season, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Network.